0: Hey, welcome to the podcast of the Kelly Cotrera Show. It's Friday, March nineteenth. Coming up on the show, we'll talk with Sylvain Charlebois about what we can expect as far as changes go in the grocery store in this coming year and the years ahead. Uh, we'll also talk with Mark Salzman about some interesting tech headlines that might have caught your eye. Is Instagram going after your kids now? We'll talk about that. But first, a lot of people going to have a spring in their step, especially after the news yesterday. Um, out of the U.S. that they are sending us 1.5 million doses of something they can't use, but we can, AstraZeneca vaccine. It really hasn't been cleared uh, for emergency use in the States, but it certainly has here, and we should get it in the next week or so. Yesterday, our premier was holding a press conference, and someone in the press gallery asked him uh, what he thought of the news. Here's what he had to say. Oh well, God bless America. They're coming to our rescue. Thank God. Yeah, he went on to praise his new best friend. Uh, President Biden, thank you. And once I get them, I will call you a champion, but I need to get the delivery first. So, so thank you, and uh, I appreciate it. Uh, we've been waiting, that's what true neighbors do you you help each other out in in a crisis. And I I understand they got to get their their, uh, people done first, I'd be no different, but thank you. Bring it on. Yeah, bring it on. You can't use it. Lend it to us. We'll take that off your hands. And Doug Ford even offered to go pick it up. If we have to go down there and pick him up. I'll drive down there in my pickup and pick him up if we have to. We've seen him do that with masks before, right? So I actually, I could see him driving stateside if he was allowed to go and pick it up. He doesn't have to, obviously. We're, we're going to be shipping that the way uh, it's normally shipped. But that is some great news. Now, here's where I come in as the buzzkill. Are you ready? So we had some good news, and now here's the bad news. Wah, wah. Kelly, why? Because I have to, Rob. I, I, like, we have to tell the full story. So nationally, we have vaccinated less than 8% of Canadians. Um, and the numbers of confirmed COVID variants are rising. So yesterday, I read a story that some experts are beginning to question if herd immunity is even possible. Yeah, you heard me correctly. Dr. Anna Bennerjee joins us now. She's an infectious disease expert and one of the folks that is wondering if herd immunity is even possible now. She's the Director of Global and Indigenous Health at the University of Toronto. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you. Thank you for inviting me.
0: This is not great news for me, um, but w- let's start off with what's been the prevailing thought when it comes to herd immunity in Canada with this pandemic.
1: Well, a lot of people are saying you need um, a certain percentage of the population vaccinated uh, for us to get a herd immunity. And what herd immunity does is um, if there's enough people who have immunity against COVID, then that potentially protects the people who are not vaccinated. I don't think anything has changed as far as uh, the numbers and the perception, uh, except maybe people are saying that, uh, with the variants, you probably need a higher percentage of the population vaccinated. Nothing's really changed. It's our perception of, of this and our our understanding of this that's changed.
0: What was the percentage?
1: well they would say like 80% uh you know some now, now they're saying like 85 90% of the population but the key is of it's of the whole population it's of all susceptible mm-hmm. people and what what uh what people don't realize is that that means in, including children if you vaccinate all the adult population you've got 20% of the population who are children you still uh can you may not reach herd immunity now um the people who are vaccinated are protected. The people who, um, you know, people around the, the the person who's vaccinated, they have a lower risk from that person being vaccinated. That means less hospitalizations. It means less severe illness, deaths, long haulers, et cetera. So there's a real importance in getting vaccinated. Um, but, you know, this herd immunity where I don't need to get vaccinated because everyone around me is vaccinated... You know, COVID is so infectious that you need a high percentage of the whole population vaccinated.
0: So can you tell me very quickly how the new variants of concern have altered the benchmark and and actually uh, uh, forced experts rather to say, well, you know, we need a higher population vaccinated?
1: You know, the, the guess at what uh, percentage of the population you need vaccinated is really a guess. I mean, they, they go through the modeling and that, but we don't really know. But we know that since this is an extremely uh, infectious virus, that it's, you know, the more infectious it is, the the higher the rate. So if we have variants that are even more transmissible, they say like 50% more transmissible, 70% more transmissible, that means that, that you need a higher number of people vaccinated to have herd immunity to protect the people who are not vaccinated
0: some experts believe uh that herd immunity isn't possible so let's go worst case scenario let's go really dark because it's a friday and i'm going to lighten things up in a bit but might as well go really dark worst case scenario say we don't reach herd immunity what happens then are we subjected to constant vaccine boosters
1: well i I think uh what's going to happen eventually so you have a whole population, and and um, some of them are vaccinated. So you've got someone who has COVID. The more per people that that individual is exposed to, that is susceptible, that allows the the virus to spread. So if people are no longer susceptible because they either had the virus, or they have that's natural immunity, or they have vaccine induced immunity. Then that person who has covid has less people to spread it to another way of reducing the amount of spread is keeping that person at home mm-hmm. and not having that person interact with any susceptible people so if you the more people that are vaccinated that then again everything things normalize things go down the, the hospitalizations go down the economy opens up etc it, it's just that it doesn't necessarily provide protection for those people who choose not to get vaccine for either because of perceived health risks or because they don't believe in it. Mm-hmm. And and so for those people they're at risk eventually of getting COVID. You know, almost you know, almost a hundred percent eventually they'll get COVID. Whether they get no symptoms, mild symptoms or severe symptoms, it's hard to know. But but eventually the adult population will become mostly immune and the people that are not immune are really um, the people who are born into the population, so the children that haven't been vaccinated or children that aren't vaccinated. But most, you know, eventually will, will reach a, a safe state. But that that might take time. And if we don't get people vaccinated, it's going to be potentially a lot of people who are sick along that way. And people getting COVID, dying from or um turn to long haulers so the best thing really for all of us uh, it, it, to protect the people that that can't get the vaccine is really for as many people as possible to get vaccines yeah
0: um so what we're doing here is we're really punctuating the need for vaccination deputy chief public health officer uh dr howard uh nijo has said that even when the vaccines become widespread, there will need to be precautionary measures like frequent hand-washing, physical distancing, mask wearing in place for some time. He actually said this, quote, I don't think we'll ever get back to what normal was. You know, pre-COVID, I think it'd be a different kind of what normal is. I find that incredibly depressing. Do, do you kind of stand with him and say, you know, we're not going to be back to ever back to where we were?
1: Uh, I, I don't, I, I don't. I think it's a matter of perception. I think mm-hmm. that eventually when we get more and more people vaccinated and the numbers go down, we are going to have, until we get the children vaccinated, and they're doing studies right now, um, there are going to be people who get COVID if they choose not to get vaccinated, right? Um, and so they, they end up in the hospital and they have the problems. but. If the majority of the population is vaccinated, then that allows us a lot more freedom. And so that means that we can open up things, that kids can go to school and be safer, that we can keep the elders safer. And so Mm -hmm. it's going to take a lot time. I care about kids,
0: but I'd really like to go to a concert again. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, that might take more time and they may have rules like you need to be vaccinated to go to a concert because we don't want to go back backwards and and have massive outbreaks. So that will probably take more time. But I have no reason to suspect eventually, you know, we're going to move on. Even in in the pandemic of 18, uh, 1918, you know, it lasted for a couple of years without vaccines. Eventually, right. it moved on. And, and so eventually, COVID will become uh, a childhood disease, which is, you know, much milder in childhood. And you're going to have these sporadic cases in adults, you know, especially people who don't get, get vaccinated. So w- we will eventually get back to some normal.
0: All right. Well, this story isn't really the bad news story that I thought it was going to be based on that headline. But if I can ask you one more question before I let you go, there's growing consensus among medical experts that Ontario's third wave of COVID-19, it started. And there are experts warning now that this third wave may affect younger people and they may become sicker this time around. What are you uh, what are you thinking with regard to the third wave and the demographic?
1: Uh, I, I think that it's too early to know if this is really a third wave. I mean, we're looking at the numbers, The numbers went really high when people uh, associated with each other at Christmas time. Then we were may, many places were in lockdown; the numbers went down. Now we've got uh, the vaccine starting, which is bringing the numbers down. But then you've got the new variants, and we're opening things up. We've opened up schools, so really, the way the curve goes up or down is depending on the behavior. Now, is this? If, I think if we can get enough people vaccinated as soon as possible, then we can potentially avert that third wave, mm. or maybe it won't be as serious. So so it's really a race against time to get as many people vaccinated as possible. And then we could, you know, hopefully avoid more lockdowns and, and going backwards. But, you know, we have to respond to the number of cases of COVID and make those decisions. But I'm hopeful Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm hopeful that if we get enough people vaccinated as soon as possible, that we're not going to have another catastrophic couple of months.
0: Well, that shipment from the U.S. should help us a little bit with that. I really appreciate your time, Dr. Banerjee. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
1: My pleasure, too. Thank
0: you. Bye-bye. you so much. I love it when we have experts on that can, you know, put things into perspective. Sometimes a headline can seem really scary, and it's nice to uh, get... You know, an educated opinion on exactly what is in with the context. Put that headline in context, and that's what we try and do on the show for you uh, daily. Um Because, you know, hey, let's face it, I don't want to be a buzzkill. I've been spending a lot of time reading online stories and columns, and a lot of them involve some interesting tech stories. So welcome to the show. Our guest, Mark Saltzman, he is a technology expert and friend of Vine, as I like to refer to him as. Mark, welcome Good to have you on.
2: Likewise, thanks for having me. Uh, good to chat with you, Kelly. Hope you're feeling better.
0: I am feeling a lot better. I had a lot of time to to binge stuff on Netflix. By the way, if I can give you documentation right now on Netflix, it's hard to watch because the subject matter is pretty intense. But Pharaoh versus Allen is
2: yeah, I heard about that. Great. Right?
0: Yeah, it's Mm. very, very convincing. Um, so after uh,
2: fourteen, I'm binging Superstore. It's a bit lighter.
0: You know what? (laughs) I tried to binge that. Chris Chris Creston told me about it. I watched episode one, and I may have gotten through episode two. And I looked at my husband, and he looked at me, and I'm like, eh. And he's like, hey. Huh. I, I give give it a up. bit
2: more time. I, I'm, How I'm much sure time? Up, by the way. How many I, episodes? So, I don't know. I'm in the fifth season. It's the uh, second last one. <laughs> it, I think it's hilarious. I, it did take a little while to get into the characters, but it's an office comedy meets Walmart. You know? So it, it's, it's. I think the the characters are hilarious. I don't know what your listeners uh, think, but I, it does take a while. But my wife, Kelly, and I, yeah, uh, and she spells her spells her name a little different than yours. Yeah, uh, we, we're loving. I it. I won't we hold that against hilarious.
0: her, although it's wrong.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, lots of good stuff on Netflix. Let's you face know what? It and, and what what a year to binge too, right? If you
0: are looking, this is Netflix aside. Now we're getting down a hole here, but I, we might as well go down because I know people love this stuff. Um, Red Oaks on Amazon Prime is, I would say, better than a superstore. If you wanted to binge something that's light and easy, I it's great. Uh, Paul Riser is in it. And a bunch of other people that I don't know. Uh, I so is Seth Meyers' brother. Wow,
2: it's, cool. Yeah, Thanks it's for pretty. The it's awesome. pretty
0: good, and uh, you know, it's nice and light. And I think it might have been from 2014, but that's a goodie. Goody goody goody. No All good. right, you're you're very welcome. And maybe I'll give Superstore a try after I binge other things <laughs> I'm interested in. Okay, so. After 14 years, Netflix killing its most popular feature. This was big news earlier on this week. What exactly are we talking about here?
2: So some Netflix users in Canada, as well as in the States and uh, one or two other countries, have noticed that if they share their Netflix account with people outside of their home, the person that is not uh, in your home will get a notification when they log into Netflix that says, uh, we notice that you are not in your primary location. Um insert this code or pay for Netflix. In other words, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. Here's the issue. Out of the 200 million users of Netflix, about 125 million are paying. The other 60 odd million or 70 million are using these accounts. So like for example, Kelly, you you know, my twins are off to university. One's in Western, uh, in London, and one's in Guelph. My daughter's in Guelph. They both can watch my Netflix account because I gave Mm -hmm. them the password. Right but it but Netflix knows that the IP address for from where they're logging in is not the one that is registered to the account so what's going to happen is it, it could be as easy as just asking the the official owner of the account for that texted uh, or emailed code and mm-hmm. it's a one-time thing so basically it's confirming that we're giving them access oh, it's um, only one but,
0: time you won't get it every yeah, time you log in that's right Oh, uh, well, that's that's a g- yeah. Easy so workaround. it's not
2: so it's not as bad as people think, but yeah. there are those who are like selling Netflix codes for two bucks a month or three bucks a month to make their anywhere from what thirteen to twenty dollar a month uh, investment a little bit easier. They're selling codes on Kijiji. Really? So that's where that's where it's going to get a bit tricky because you're not going to be able to give all these codes to all these different people. So they're trying to clamp down on that. And you can't really blame them you know, Netflix. But uh so that's the, the so at, at the very least, you're just going to have to give the person like my kids, I'm going to have to give them a code for them to type in and then everything's fine. But there, but Netflix is hoping that a good number of those, whatever, 67 million people who aren't paying are going to just say, you know what, I just, I'm just going to pay. And they're hoping that a, 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 a few of those million are going to pay, and that's really what some Canadians are seeing now. They're testing out this this uh, rollout, but it's it's not. I haven't seen it yet myself, but uh, yeah, that's it's getting people upset. But again, all you have to do is is request the code and then share it with the person that you want to access your Netflix account away from you. That's
0: okay, L- let's talk about um, n- non fungible tokens, which you know I think really became a hot story. For the average person probably two weeks ago. Um True. And, and people were uh realizing that people were selling original artwork, whether it be uh visual art or or um, musical art, um, through something called a non fungible token. Now I'm hearing people are stealing art. Art doesn't even belong to them and they're turning <laughs> into a non fungible token. What can you get us yeah. first of all, maybe up to speed with um, very simplistic terms of what a non fungible token is and how people are able to steal other people's artwork and make money off of it.
2: Yeah, for sure. So a fungible asset is something that can be readily interchanged. So you give me a hundred dollar bill. I give you two fifty dollar bills. We're good. It's the same value. A non fungible asset is something that's unique. And it, it is, it is like a piece of art or a song. It's just something that, that you have created a one of a kind painting that you can sell digitally on the blockchain. So that is an online ledger of sorts, uh, with validation through. Um, millions of computers around the world that, that, that validate that transaction so that everybody, it's like a communal system that is vetted and that is, is uh, built on the same principle as cryptocurrency, a digital currency. So that is the idea behind a non-fungible, uh, token or NFT is, is something that you can sell digitally and you're basically awarding certification. It's not unlike buying a piece of uh, rare art and you get that certificate that, that confirms that you are the rightful owner of it. Right. Okay. And talks about so, provenance, which yeah. is really important. So yeah. ironically, ironically, w- while NFTs are supposed to give the person who buys it the, uh, you know, the, the, the digital certificate of ownership, there's two problems that have circulated over the last week. One is that the seller may not own, own the artwork and they're selling it. Uh, and then secondly, multiple NFTs may be created for a single piece of artwork. <laughs> so, So if you painted something, Kelly, and you wanted to sell it through as an NFT and, and sell it for $5,000. Which I I, did, Mark,
0: and I will sell it to you for (laughs) $3,000. It's a self-portrait. I think it might be worth almost nothing to you, but I would still be willing to entertain the idea.
2: And I will flip it for fifteen thousand dollars or so. That's what people are doing with NFTs, right? Hmm. Whether it's a baseball card or a painting, there's there's money to be made, and, and hence all the excitement around it. And not to mention, um, Mark Winkleman, uh, A.K.A. Beeple, he sold his uh, his artwork for sixty nine million dollars U.S. through Christie's. Anyways, so the idea is that so what's happening is that people are setting up fake uh, Twitter accounts to make it look like they are the rightful owner of a piece of artwork. And then they're selling it even though they don't own the rights to it. And that's uh, ironically goes against everything that an NFT is supposed to be. It's supposed to confirm. Let me see if I can follow this storyline. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: tweet just to make it about this painting. Okay. So I tweet out my self portrait. Somebody grabs a screenshot of it and says, I own it here. I'm selling it now.
2: Yeah. So that's the problem. Even if somebody buys a piece of art, um it still can be digitally recreated and shared online. It doesn't prohibit that from happening. So even that $69, $69 million piece of artwork can still be found online. And these are mostly, by the way, digital things as well, like a video or a song. Mm-hmm. If uh if Rain Maida, who was on um who I interviewed from Our Lady Peace, he's selling music through Our Lady Peace digitally as an NFT, I could still Freely share it, but I just don't own it or right. any of the rights to it. So that's the problem: is that people who don't uh, rightfully own this piece of art is selling, uh, they're selling it, and it's Can harder see- and harder to track. How it's Potential
0: happening. lawsuits, though, later? I
2: would think so, yeah. But a lot of it, you know, the internet knows no borders. So it can be pretty yes. tricky to try to, uh, to try to sue somebody internationally. Uh, not mm-hmm. to mention some of these accounts are fraudulent. So if you are mm-hmm. looking to buy an NFT, and, and I'm talking to your listeners here, if they want to buy something, and that's a cool way to, to legitimately own something, uh, and possibly make money on it, uh, just do your due diligence and make sure they're the rightful owner. Don't just trust that, uh, Twitter account is uh legit you know do your do your uh your research before you you spend your ethereum because that's usually the digital currency tied to nfts before you pay digitally yeah make sure that they're the rightful owner
0: let's turn our attention very quickly mark if we could to social media uh for years you had to prove your age or somehow prove your age is very loose (laughs) uh in order to have a facebook account now facebook is exploring the idea of creating an under 13 platform can you talk about this
2: So yeah, with lots of backlash online, uh, Instagram for kids, basically. So Facebook has tried in the past. In 2017, they launched Messenger Kids, which was a virgin, a version, virgin. Oh boy. Talk about a bad, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Freudian uh, slip, slip there. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was a version of the popular texting app for kids designed for those ages 6 to 12. But the, uh, that Messenger kids app drew scrutiny because there was a flaw where kids could still interact with adults. So it defeated the whole purpose of a protected Uh, platform for kids. And do we really want to get kids on social media and all the negative things that it brings to the table that young, but that's a whole other conversation. But so Facebook, it says that they are back again and they Mm -hmm. think that they can do it uh, better and more with a, um, you know, of an Instagram feel for kids. It's very early stages, but they, you know, the problem is that kids are increasingly asking their parents to, to get on these platforms and they're not allowed if they're under a certain age. So they're saying, well, we can maybe do this right. And now it's our second kick at they can. But a, a lot of people online are saying this is just a bad idea from the get go. Uh, this, this should not, we should not be allowing kids, uh, six to 12 or, uh, you know, get, get on social media, Mm -hmm. but that is what Facebook is cooking up. Um, they, you know, they, they shared this information last week and they said, this is uh, what we're doing. And
0: you know in not to there's so many different issues. there's privacy issues, there's safety issues, but there's the fact that you know we're living in a time of cancel culture. Whatever you tweet, even if you were six or seven, I could see it coming back to bite you based on this next story that we'll be talking about. It mm-hmm. is uh, I'm talking about Alexei McCammond who uh, lost her job at Teen Vogue. She was supposed to be the editor. She has now been uh, canceled because of a tweet that she Mm -hmm. uh, put out when she was 17. Look, it it doesn't matter how woke you are now. People are going back in your past and they are digging things up. And this is exactly why you don't want your kids on social media because kids are stupid.
2: Yeah, that's one problem. Another one is mental health. And uh the unfortunate reality is that that it's uh, social media sets unrealistic expectations for kids on what they should look like, how they should act. Oh yeah. Uh there's been, you know, record uh, you know, uh, suicides uh going on tied to social media even pre-pandemic. I mean, what this is it's it's a Pandora's box that I think should stay closed for those at a certain age. That's just my two cents for what it's worth yeah. when it comes from a mental health perspective. Um but Facebook thinks okay well look uh, these kids are you know they're going to Snapchat they're going to TikTok we can you know that we can maybe play a role here because they're not really in the game for that age group uh, but they want to be and they want to invest course. in their future but i just you know we'll see what happens but they said it's very early on the the backlash online is is big so we'll see and i and and again all the privacy and security concerns uh, surrounding Facebook as well they don't have the best track record
0: Tell me about it. Mark, (laughs) I want to thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and have a safe and happy weekend.
2: And to you. Thank you so much.
0: Cheers. That's Mark Saltzman, our tech uh, expert and a friend of the show. This past year, my trip to the grocery store has changed astronomically. I, I would not have predicted a year ago that I would be in the grocery store right now when I talk to you. Literally, I am in the grocery store. I have a window open. And it's in my online grocery list. And I can go to it at any time. I'm not shopping right now, but it's just an example. I can be in the grocery store because I've been shopping online. I think a lot of people's trips to the grocery store have gone virtual. But Sylvain Charlebois joined the Toronto Star and had a really interesting column that caught my eye. And I thought, let's get him on the show again. Uh, he joins us now. He's professor and director of Dalhousie University's Agri-Food Analytics Lab, Sylvan, it's always a pleasure having you on the show you were talking to the Toronto Star and you were highlighting not just the fact that you know we've a lot of us have gone online but the trip to the grocery store uh, during the end of the stage of this pandemic which fingers crossed is hopefully where we are right now and moving forward is going to look a lot different can you elaborate on the ways that you think things have changed and will continue to change.
3: Well, I think we should start by saying that we all are going to behave differently. You just mentioned, you know, your trips to uh, well in front of your screen. <laughs> we're doing more of that, and uh, and we're we're noticing. Grocers are noticing, and they're and they're really uh, shifting their resources. Just this week, we learned that Walmart was investing five hundred million dollars in in distribution and in e-commerce. Um, and more, more is to come. Also, uh, Sobe's just bought mongos mm-hmm. and grocery gateway. There's a reason for that. Uh, it has a yep. lot to do with the, with the, with the new consumer, I guess, coming out of the pandemic. Um, uh, lots of changes, uh, and it's due to, to, uh, the fact that we're, we're going to be different. Uh, we're going to be buying food differently. Foot traffic won't be as, it's still going to be important, but not as important as before COVID, uh, a lot of people will be working from home more often because we just realized that technologies can work for a while, not on a full-time basis, but for a while. I mean, we can stay home uh, and do some work very efficiently. And so a lot, of, a lot of these things are going to impact the entire food industry, and not just in retail, by the way, restaurants as well. Uh, it, it, I think it's going to impact the entire food industry for, for the next little while.
0: Okay, you said that supermarkets are going to start to rethink their storefronts. I could see, now we heard about an MP trying to bring forward a bill to kind of ban those point-of-purchase chocolate bars and sweets that we'd see at the checkout. But beyond that, what are we talking about when we think of supermarkets rethinking storefronts? How so?
3: Well, essentially, I mean, one of the things that grocers have not done a good job at is to manage our our entry and especially in our, our exit <laughs> we're waiting to pay for our own food is kind of nineteen ninety, really. I mean it's when you think about it, people uh wanted to get in, wanted to get out. Um of course during COVID we saw people the, the time spent in the grocery store Um, really was not as much as before, like a lot less. Uh, The average trip in in a grocery store before COVID was over 40 minutes. Uh, With COVID, it it went under 30 minutes. Uh, People had lists. They were disciplined. They were focused. They didn't buy things they didn't need. And impulse buying was a big part of the business. We didn't realize it as consumers, but getting people to buy things they didn't need was a thing. It was something that really... The grocers wanted you uh, to do, but things have changed now in front of people are in front of screens. They're, they're, they're very, very mechanical in their approach to grocery shopping now. You can't do that anymore. So your approach has to change. The design of the store has to change as well. Uh, the way you put aisles, the way you uh, manage uh, checkout, uh, especially self-checkouts, all of these things will change. Okay, so
0: can you get specific in ways that you think the checkout's going to change? Do you think we're going to be going towards one of those situations where you grab what you want and you walk out, sort of like the, was it Apple or or Google or something like that that was setting up a grocery store like that in the States? I could be wrong. It would
3: be Amazon. Amazon, Amazon, thank you. Amazon Go, yes, the Amazon Go model. You go in, you basically get, you you scan your phone, and you can legally shoplift (laughs) in the store, and then you get out. There's also another model, uh, which is actually piloted by Sobeys in Oakville right now. Uh, it's called a smart card. You basically take one of those smart cards with a GPS, built-in GPS and a computer. You walk around the store. As you put stuff in your card, it adds things up. And basically yeah. once you're done, you, you, you can just pay with your card.
0: Get so out. you're still scanning. There must be a scanner somewhere on the card.
3: All in the car, yeah, at the county. Yeah. You don't have to scan physically, but it's all there. And okay. technology seems to be working very well. In essence, grocers will try to not only get you to save some time, but it will also enhance your your experience. So the smart card could tell you recipes for tonight. So you just grab, say, a, a pack of ground of beef. It mm-hmm. could actually prompt you a recipe. Here's... Here are some spices you can find in aisle five that could actually go well with the ground beef you're buying right now, sort of it's thing. It's called rice Yeah, exactly.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, so AI, we we're expecting more artificial intelligence, more analytics. Grocers are starting to realize that they were ill-equipped to manage stores uh, with the panic buying last year uh, at the yeah. start of COVID.
0: How are they dealing we with that?
3: Prepared. Exactly.
0: So how are they dealing with
3: that? Well, with forecasting, you, with machine learning, with different technologies, you can predict. I mean, the, the panic buying episode last year was obviously extreme, but people don't realize, but the weather itself uh, impacts how you buy food. <laughs> if it's raining outside, you're not going to buy barbecue stuff. Right, you have a stack of barbecue stuff as a grocer, you're going to be stuck with it. So how do you get people to buy different products uh, that may not be in demand or could be in high demand given the weather? And those are things that I don't think the industry has done a good job uh, in assessing, uh, predicting, forecasting. These are things that I suspect we're going to see more and more. I actually even, would will go even further, I actually see real-time pricing. So in the morning, you, you show up at like 9 o'clock Like surge pricing? In the morning, real-time pricing.
0: So what do you mean, surge pricing? Like if it's more popular, it's going to cost more?
3: Let's say that you go into the store at 9 o'clock in the morning. There's plenty of tomatoes, okay? Mm-hmm. There's a price there. But let's say, for example, by 5 o'clock in the afternoon, another person walks in and there's still a lot of in because that day people just didn't buy tomatoes. They'll probably fit, put it at half price right away. Uh, oh. All pricing would be digitalized. Yeah. Okay, there's, so there's we
0: won't see like surge 5%. pricing. We'll see discount pricing based on overstock.
3: Based on supply and demand.
0: Wow. Yeah. I can get in. I, I hate everybody loves a deal.
3: Well, here's the thing. With COVID, people working from home, Mm-hmm. Uh, the four-day work week. Uh, right now, the busiest day of the, of, the, of the week is Saturday for grocery shopping. Number two is Sunday. Well, I could potentially see Friday or even Mondays being busier, and grocers will have to be ready for that because typically when you walk in on a Monday, there's nothing. <laughs> Shelves are empty because the weekend is done.
0: That's going to have to change too. Wait, why do you predict it, it being busier on a weekday?
3: Because people may actually be working four-day uh week, like four-day a week, or they may yeah. have to decide to work three days at work, two days at home.
0: Okay, I got you. So they don't have to do it on their weekend. Their weekend exactly. can be for them, but they're going to fit it into yeah. the Monday.
3: Absolutely, yep. Wow,
0: oh, a lot of yeah. changes going on. So uh, you Power think that the grocery...
3: <laughs> Power to <Yep>. data. <laughs>
0: Listen, a friend of mine just went on, they're, they're taking some online courses. I don't know if they said it was like available, if it was an online course on uh, data from MIT or something like that, that they'd open up during the pandemic. She's like, I'm learning about big data because I don't think I can do my job without it.
3: Uh, exactly. And, and I think, I mean, the food industry is uh, traditional. Uh, it, it's, it's all about uh, culture and it hasn't evolved as much as other sectors, but I, I think that COVID really has pushed uh, most companies to think differently about data and, and how to predict our behavior. If you're shopping online, they're learning about you. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's easy. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they're constantly saying, hey, do you want this based on that? Do you want this well, based on what that? Amazon
3: yeah." Does. Amazon has built an empire Just because they're able to predict exactly what you will want next. That's what Amazon does very well, beyond the logistics, of course, and and the data that they use uh, to sell stuff to us. They know exactly how we're going to behave next. And that's what the grocery industry needs to do more.
0: Well, Savannah, it's always a pleasure talking to you. I think it's been really illuminating and interesting. And we'll look to the future and see if any of these – Predictions come to pass. Thank you so much for joining us. Take care. Have a great day. uh, Sylvain Charlebon is a professor and director of Dalhousie University's Agri-Food Analytics Lab. Interesting stuff. Hey, thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure having you along on the podcast. If you have some time Monday between 9 and noon, we broadcast live and you can tune in at 640toronto.com or on your radio.